Well, we have come up, we come to a time where we're ready to wrap up our series on, on uh, discernment. But I do want you to notice that's wrapping, so it's a continuing thing. It might not, you know, it's not just wrap today. You might, you know, who knows if it doesn't bleed till next week, right? So it could be a wrapping up discernment part two, depending on how, no, that's not the plan. It's actually a very short lesson for tonight, because I also, I included a practical. Remember I told you we're going to try to figure out how to do it. So I'll have a scenario, and it can be we can go to home early, depending on how involved people are, or at regular time, depending. So it's up to you uh, when we finish uh, tonight. And we started this study because we know that people often do not see issues clearly, and are easily misled because they do not think biblically. Most of us, I think, want to distance ourselves from the, 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 the lunatic fringe of Christianity and of the world out there. We, we are on our guard against these things. We want to be walking according to the uh, word of the Lord and, and to follow Him in His path. We want His word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light into, unto our path. So we study discernment. But there's more to discernment than just this, uh, figuring out you know, what is right and wrong. And true, the discernment includes that, distinguishing right from wrong. But it also means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the most important to, from the less important. Distinguishing the essential from the indifferent, the permanent from the transient. And it means also distinguishing between the good and the better, or sometimes between the better and the best. You understand what I'm saying? That we started the definition that discernment is distinguished between true and false, right and wrong, and that's completely true, but goes beyond that as well. Sometimes we're going to be trying to distinguish between the most important and the less important, the, 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 the things that are permanent and things that are transient, uh, things that are best and things that are, no, things that are good and better, or better and best. So it's not always just truth and error, right and wrong. There are other things involved in discernment. Can you... Can you think of a time where you might be using discernment to decide between two good things? Yes, there is. Applying for a job as a plumber or as a musician. Right, as long as I have yeah, capability in those two areas, then it's indifferent, right? It's just uh, uh, wisdom there. Uh, anytime you're choosing between two righteous things. Uh, Sometimes marriage can be that way, right? Uh, we, sometimes we think that, oh, there's this one person out there that if I don't marry that one person, then I'm going to have missed my soulmate. And what the Bible talks about marriage, uh, 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 much simpler than that, right? There's some broad categories, Christian, Bible-believing, and so on. And then you get discernment between this or that and so on, um, Getting a job, choosing what college a college to go to when things are equal, you might be choosing between two good things, and we need to use discernment. The beauty of those times is that you're right, no matter which one you you choose, right? And sometimes the discernment is between choosing what something that's good and some something that's even better. But also there are times where we have to figure out what are things of first importance and what are things of Less importance. What is a popular way of saying that? Priorities. Priorities, but there's also just proverbial sayings. Choose your battles. Choosing your battles. 
choosing what hill to die on, right? That, those are matters of discernment as well. And what is, it, what is first important, for example, in fellowship? What are things that should break fellowship? What are things that should break fellowship as far as what the Word of God goes? So this is all, that, all that involves uh, discernment. And I read this this week and made a lot of sense. I wish I had read this ahead of time, before when I talk about discernment as a gift. Discernment is much like our physical senses. Some people have really good sense of smell. They can smell you know, perfectly and they can say, and they can tell you everything that's in the food and so on. Some people have a really good ta- uh, sense of taste and they can really figure out everything that's in there. But all of us have senses, right? We all, well, maybe there's some of you who are sick and don't have a sense of smell or vision is really bad. But most of us have five senses and we can act, you know, and the sermon is like that. It's like a sense. We all have it. We all are supposed to have it, even though some may have a better sense than others. So we are called to develop the sermon that, that, just like that sixth sense. Not to see dead people, but to be able to discern between what's good and right. Man, very few people watch that movie, I guess. So. I got it. You got, thanks, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Could you next time just go at least a huh? huh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I know that. Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> But some, so some measure of it is essential for all of us, and it needs to be nourished through our lives as Christians. So, so as I said, the Christian must take care to develop that sixth sense of spiritual discernment. And this is why the psalmist prays, teach me good judgment and knowledge. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 66, prays, teach me good judgment and knowledge. So, so far, everything that we've talked about has been reviewed. And we're going to continue reviewing till we get to the practicum time. Any comments or questions before we continue? All right, so the nature of the sermon that we have seen. Uh, in, this, in, the, in Psalm 119, verse 66, that was on the screen just a minute ago, teach me good judgment and knowledge. The word translated judgment is actually the word for taste. Give me good taste. Help me to figure out what is good. You know, and that's the picture of actually tasting something um, it is the ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between and recognize the moral implications of different situations and course of actions. That's the nature of discernment. It, it includes the ability to weigh and assess the moral and spiritual status of individuals, groups, and even uh, movements. So, while we're called not to be judgmental, not to, to, to use judgmentalism, not become judgy in a bad way, our Lord tells us that we are to figure out who is a pig. Because he tells us not to do what? Not to cast our pearls before swines. And we need to be able to discern when that moment... And remember, that's the same passage where he says, it starts by saying, Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge. And yet in verse 6 it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. So he's calling us a particular kind of judgment, which is what we've been talking for the last 10 weeks or so, the idea of biblical discernment. We have a remarkable example of discernment in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 2 in the Gospel of uh, John, we read this. Jesus did not commit himself to them, talking about the crowd, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. 
And some people think, oh, this is based on his omniscient, he knew all things. That's not the case. Remember, he's talking about the man Jesus Christ. The man Jesus Christ was not omniscient. Right? To think that is a heresy. If you're living in the 4th and 5th centuries of our era, and you said that the man Jesus Christ was omniscient, you'd be kicked out of the empire. You'd have to go live in Timbuktu, almost literally in Timbuktu, Africa, because you'd be kicked out of the empire, because that's a heresy. The man Jesus Christ was not omniscient. So when it says he knew all men, it means he knew, he knew who, what made humanity. He discerned what was in the heart of man, not because he had this knowledge, this, this divine knowledge, but because he was an observant person who knew how men behave, how people behave. He knew the Word of God. He knew what the Word of God said about humanity. That's why he was able to do that. So, discerning, discernment is learning to think God's thoughts after him, practically and spiritually. It means having uh, a sense of how things look in God's eyes and seeing them in some measure naked and open, like Hebrews 4.13 says, God sees things. So to be able to see things like God sees as we understand that from the Word of God. Any questions so far? All right. So, what is the impact of discernment in our lives? There are four ways discernment affects the way we live. It, it acts as a means of protection, guarding us from being deceived spiritually. So discernment acts in that way in our lives. It guards us from um, being deceived spiritually. It helps us keep the main thing the main thing. It protects us from being blown away by winds of teaching that make central uh, uh, an element of the gospel of the Bible that might not be central and made the, make the central things of the Bible uh, part of the periphery. Second, the second impact it has in our lives is that discernment also acts as an, an instrument of healing when exercised in grace. There's a small number of people whose ability to diagnose the spiritual needs of others is remarkable. They seem to, to be able to penetrate into the heart issues someone has better than the person himself or herself can do. And this is some, in some ways a dangerous gift, but if used properly, it can be a great help for the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, discernment functions as a, as a key to Christian freedom. Discerning people know how to exercise their freedom. You know, the zealous but undiscerning Christian becomes enslaved to others, to his own uneducated conscience, to an unbiblical pattern of life. But if you're discerning, you are able to figure out what is it that God calls you to do from the scriptures, and you're not enslaved to any sort of do's and don'ts that might be extra-biblical, not in the scriptures. And true discernment also enables the, um, the Christian to recognize that the exercise of freedom is not essential to the enjoyment of it. The discerning Christian knows that he is free, but that he doesn't necessarily have to exercise his freedom all the time. That it's okay to sacrifice your freedom for the sake of others. So that's the point that Paul makes in Galatians chapter 5 in the beginning of the chapter. And then discernment serves as a catalyst to spiritual development. Discerning people become more discernment. The more you seek discernment, the more discerning you get. And the more discerning you get, the more discernment God gives you. In Proverbs 
chapter 14, verse 6, it says, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. And the word understands there is the word for discernment. So, the, these, in these four ways, discernment affects the way that we live. Now, how do we, how do we obtain biblical discernment? What is the essential, what foundational prerequisite for spiritual discernment? It's not a complicated question, so don't have to think too deeply. What is the foundational, essential prerequisite for spiritual discernment? More basic. No. Jesus. Yes, there we go. Yes. It's spiritual discernment. So being saved by Jesus Christ is going to be the most foundational, basic prerequisite for spiritual discernment. So a non-believer can't have the sort of stuff that we're talking about here. The sad thing is that the church often looks to the unbeliever for how to live. The psychologist, the psychiatrist, uh, to know how to love the, the wives or how to submit their husbands or how to carry their marriages when they don't have spiritual uh, uh, discernment. So how will we obtain such discernment? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit that dwells within us. And that's why we all should pray as Psalm 119, 25, 125 says, I am your servant, give me understanding. Only the servants of Christ can have spiritual discernment. Any questions or comments? Okay. All right. Now, you decide. No, that show, I don't know if there's a TV show. We're, we're going to talk about how to apply it. Okay? And I was trying to, to construct and figure out a case that would help us, a scenario that would help us apply some things and, and, and explore. And a, a lot of us, all of us, are familiar with marriage. Either we've been married, or our parents have been married, or we've seen other people married, or whatever it is, we all have been in the context of marriage somewhere. So I thought that a good way to practice discernment, to practice, to come up with a scenario, to look at a scenario in which there is marital conflict. Because, again, all of us have had some knowledge or involved in marital conflict of some sort. Either we have witnessed our parents or heard of it somewhere or we've had it ourselves. So let's meet Bob and Stephanie. Now, the names are weird. It might be weird because I try to give names that nobody in the church. <laughs> exactly, because I don't want anybody to think that uh, I was talking about. I want to do Steve and Stephanie but then we have a Steve, and that didn't work. So Bob is 33 years old. That's what IOA means, years of age. And then Stephanie's 32. They're Bob and Stephanie snobs. That's their, that's their name, okay? They um, have been married for 10 years. They met in high school and dated in high school, but then they went to separate colleges and then reconnected during their senior year of college. Then they married a few months after they graduated from college. Oh, I did put Steve there, sorry. Uh, Bob, that's his name, not Steve, works in construction. Stephanie is an architect. 
both are active members and have regularly attended for five years. They're part of our church. Bob, I put Steve again there, is very involved in the ushering ministry and they are your friends. Not the closest friends, but friends nonetheless. They, so what, they come to you and they want you to help them. And they, they say, this is what I struggle. This is what they tell you the problems are. That they fight regularly. There's finance, tension over finances. Stephanie withdraws during conflict. Bob has an issue with anger. That's why they come and say, please help me. Please. They come, Heather, help me, they say. Or they say, Jim, help me. And Chris, these are our problems. Okay, So that's why they tell you. Now, a little more in their history. Can you see this? Okay. You have a, a, a three-year friendship with Bob and Stephanie. You first got to know them when they started attending the church several years ago. Two years later, they joined. Last Saturday, after book study, they asked if they could stay a little later so they could talk with you. So after, after everyone left, you asked. So what's going on? Almost immediately, they both started opening up. Opening up. Bob and Stephanie have been fighting a lot over the last two years, and f- the fighting has been getting worse. Bob says he is holding down a very stressful job. He's the lead foreman um, at the company. He feels overworked, and when he comes home, he doesn't have much patience for Stephanie. He says, she doesn't care about what I want. She is always complaining about how I don't care, about how, I, uh, how long I work, about how I never listen. When I get home, I need time to unwind because I've had a very stressful day. Yet she complains that I'm not willing to help with anything. It's not true. I'm willing to help. I just need some time. All right. Are you filtering the information? Okay. Stephanie's worried not so much about Bob's work hours, but about his temper. He's got a raging temper, she says. I'm scared because when he gets angry, he started, started hitting things. He has never hit me, but I always feel like he is walking, he's walking the line between anger and abuse. Stephanie gave up her career after her, she, had her, uh, she had their son, Balthazar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Can we address that first? <laughs> what is that? So can we address that first? <laughs> Keep that in your brain. No. What is the first thing you're going to address? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Use your discernment to figure out what's the most important thing to address here. She enjoys being at home and enjoys being a mother. I'm, I'd much rather be at home than working. Stephanie has pleaded with Bob to go with her to a counselor. She knows that their fighting is getting worse. I feel distant from him. We don't talk like we used to. We fight more than talk, then things break down, and I can't deal with it anymore, so I just pull back. Bob adds, we have a tight budget because it is so expensive to live here. We fight often about money. She spends too much, and I wish she would be more careful. Stephanie agrees and says she's careful with her money and that Bob has unrealistic expectations about what it costs to raise a kid and maintain a family. Bob adds again, She expects me to be perfect, and if I'm not, she reminds me of my mistakes. She's impossible to live with. How's that for a Friday, Saturday morning for you? 
All right. So I'm going to ask a series of questions, and feel free to answer or not. If there is a, some silence, I'll just move on to the next question. So you have the scenario in your head. We're going to save the name of the kid for later. Right? We're going to use our discernment and say that's not the most important thing to talk about. What are the possible entry gates into Bob and Stephanie's life? What are the possible ways that you, you can access their lives? How can you enter into their lives? Well, to begin with, they asked you for help, right? So there's the, you don't have to kick the door to get in. But how are you going to first access them? Literally, what would you say? I'm glad you're here Okay. Then you give you Tito's number. Is that your number? <laughs> I think that's what Chris was going to say over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, acknowledge the situation and so on. But you see how you're, try- somebody, you're trying to discern something. You have to, if you're helping somebody, you have to figure out how am I going to enter into that situation, right? Sometimes it's there, sometimes. Um, you, you may have to find a window. Sometimes you just have to kick the door down. Uh, proverbially, I'm not talking literally, figuratively here, okay? Not, not literally. Um, so that's, that's all there. Okay. Yes, Louis. I, I want to know from each of them what they think the biggest problem is in their marriage. Okay. Because they yeah. probably are going to be different. Yeah. That might be a little bit down the line. Somehow you have to, yeah, yeah. The nurse in me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I see somebody who doesn't feel safe. And that's a good question. It's good to know what they think. But the scenario itself shows us that they're not very good at figuring what it is. And we're going to have to help them figure it out, right? Because ask him, she is a problem. Ask her, he is a problem. But what is it that's the problem? Is it, is it she's spending too much money? Or is it, um, you know, that's his yeah. side and her side? I think. Right, so the, we already know those are the presenting problems. They already told us that. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Uh, how do we incarnate Christ to them? So we're called to be Christ to each other. How, how do we incarnate Christ to them? Again, you don't have necessarily to answer uh, loud if you don't want to, but that's the things that you need to be thinking about when you're trying to exercise discerning, especially when you're trying to help somebody, right? Are you going to be the Christ of Matthew 23? Remember what the Christ of Matthew 23 is doing? Woe to you, Pharisees, you know, or are you going to be the Christ of Matthew 11, right? Come to me, because I'm gentle and lowly. And there's a time for each of those times, right? So incarnate Christ is going to look different. As you're, and that's one, one way to use it, that you need to use discernment as well. Does that make sense to you? All right, so that, now we come to what Lewis says, was saying. What questions do you want to ask Bob and or Stephanie? Heather, what would be a question that you ask Bob or Stephanie? I think I would ask them to, if they wanted to get together regularly. 
Okay. I think it's hard to, that's a lot yeah. of stuff, and there's probably a lot of stuff underneath that. Okay. I, I would ask them if they just sat down and prayed about it. Okay. God for God's guidance. Yeah. Or just said, what have you done about it so far? Yeah. Right? What else? Sonia, you had your hand up at the back. I was going to say, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed with each other? All right. What else might we want to ask? Amy? Have you prayed for each other? Okay, have you prayed for each other. All right. Alex? Uh, that's in their intention. If they just brought the other to have the other change, or if they actually are looking to change themselves. Okay. All right. Jerry? Would you want to ask them if they're, if they're really both Christians? Did they have a, a basic understanding of salvation? And, so they're on the same yeah. So it's always good to check if somebody wants for help and they claim to be a Christian. We want to be sure they understand the gospel. And in, in, in there, yes. What else? I ask you if they have a budget. Okay. All right. Do you have a question? Did they both discuss all of this in front of you? Because definitely. Correct. Well, Bob never addresses the anger question. He doesn't defend himself about no. that. No. Yeah. So, so what do we gather from that? If this is a conversation, what do we gather from that? They're not listening to them. Yes, they're, they're talking past each other. Right? So they're there for you to help the other person. That's what it is. Right? So questions of budget and things like that are great questions. But probably a little bit down the line as well, because you're talking about the heart, right? That's, we wanted to address the heart first. So using discernment in addressing the heart, because all these exterior. Now, if you're being abusive, like hitting her, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, then we have to take care of it immediately. Uh, or, you know, if Uncle Vinny from the mafia is going to kill them because they owe a lot of money, then you need to address that kind of stuff right away. But otherwise, all this stuff you can kind of remember discernment, first importance, secondary importance. How are you going to prioritize what's things of first importance? Um, be important for you to figure out what, what do Stephanie and Bob think in response. No, think about what's going on. Right? They stated what they think the problem is. What they're thinking, what is the thinking behind it? Why, why is it that Bob thinks that he deserves the time right, to unwind or whatever it is? I'm not making a value judgment yet. I just want to know, you know why is this so important to you? Kenzie. Yeah. What have you done about it, right? Uh, about the situation. Yeah. And then, would that be good to, for you to just say, honestly, Bob, said, what, what do you hope to accomplish in talking to me? Do you want me to be a hammer on the other person, or do you want us to talk about growing in Christ together and so on? So, right, having all the cards on the table is important there as well. 
What are some of the heart issues that you observe just from this scenario? Sonia? Selfishness, okay, on whose part? Okay, Kenzie? Stubbornness, on whose part? Okay, what else? What other heart issues? Pride. Pride, on whose part? Both, okay. What else? Anger. Anger. Okay. Yes. What else? Could you say a little bit about idolatry? You think of Bob wanting home, it, that if he doesn't get his time, whatever it is that he needs to do right after work at home, that he's willing to sacrifice his relationship over the idol, the altar of that idol, of whatever relaxation is after. So idolatry is another heart issue there. And those are the ones that uh, you need to use really good discernment because that's, that's the stuff that you need to help them with first. Does that make sense? Sure, you might want to talk about budgets and stuff like that to give a taste of what you can help them with. But the heart is the most important thing because out of it... What comes out? The shoes. The out of it springs the shoes of life, right? And then, if you really want to help somebody like that, in your mind, you have to have serious thoughts about what the pattern of biblical change is. How do people change, right? Uh, because that's every, any interaction that you're trying to help somebody. Your goal is for them to change. Does it make sense? It says, yeah, Bob and Stephanie, I want to talk to you for the next two hours, and I'm hoping that you just remain the same. That's not, you know, says nobody ever, right? That's, that's, so part of discernment is knowing how change happens and, and be aware of, of that. How does a Christian change? Assuming they're a Christian, how does a Christian change? Studying, Studying the Word, Okay. Being obedient to the word, all right. Repenting, Repenting, yes. What else? Putting off the old man and putting on the Correct. So that's really, that's, if you can't remember anything about change, remember that. Putting it off and putting it on. That's the basic dynamic of biblical change. So if anger is the issue, what, did, what does it need to put off? Anger, yes. Good, that's it. They have to stop being angry. Now, anger can, is often uh, a byproduct of something else, so you need to figure out what that is. But, um, and then, but putting off is not enough. That's not changed, complete change. What is the put on? Patience, Patience all right. Love. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Compassion. Can you think of a particular passage? There's a particular passage that says that you put off anger in a relationship by doing what? Are you going to Ephesians 4, Tilly? No. Are you going to read loud verse 25 and 26 for us? Read loud. So, truth and love and 
immediate action upon issues. That's according to Ephesians 4, which is that passage right after the put off and put on dynamic passage. The opposite of anger in relationships is actually speaking truth in love and solving the issues as they happen. Keeping short accounts. Not letting things linger. Right? That in relationship, that's what in that passage when specifically talking about anger, that's what the put on is. There. Um, all right. Uh, in in what ways would you need to clarify responsibilities? Is there anything that you need to clarify as far as responsibilities? And who is responsible for what? Balthazar is fairly young. Just have an old soul. <laughs> so I just see somebody say something over here on this side. Four. I'm, I They're responsible for their own feelings. So they're responsible for their own actions for themselves, right? So you, 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 that's something that uh, needs to be clarified in a situation like this. Because right now, he thinks she's responsible for every problem they have. She thinks he's responsible for every problem they have. So responsibility needs to be clarified in that situation. There he is. Yeah, in some ways that's true, but the woman, every the man and the woman are responsible for their own actions, yes. right? The devil didn't make him do it. The husband, the wife didn't make me do it. Each person is responsible. Um, our we have free wills. Look at that, a reformed person saying that, <laughs> meaning that our wills are free from any exterior responsibility. Our wills are only attached to our hearts. So whatever we do, say, and think, we are responsible for those things, not somebody else. And that's, that I think one of the first things that we're going to have to help them with is this idea that they are responsible for themselves. They are not, they can't change the other person. But they can, by God's grace, you know, change themselves. The Spirit of God can change them. Does it make sense? So, and you say, oh, this is not going to happen. This happens all the time. Uh, and this should happen more often than not if we are willing to admit that we all have problems just like this and that we all have the Spirit of God and should be able to help, giving discerning help to each other as we navigate through these things. So this scenario is not that. Maybe Balthazar, maybe nobody's going to name the kid like that. But, no, we call him Balti. Uh, <laughs> But these things are present in the church. This is a, this is a fictional scenario, but there are elements of, of there are real elements. You know, it's a, comp- a composite scenario, I should say. But these are real elements, and uh, you face it all the time if you're open to help and to exercise discernment in helping people. So that gives an idea how to use discernment, and you need to know the scriptures in order to use discernment. And in a situation like this, more than knowing right and wrong, it's knowing first and second and third. Does it make sense? What's the most important thing for me to deal with? What's the second most important thing? 
and so on. All right? Any final questions or comments before we close, before we wrap up this series on discernment? Yes, Amy. Mm-hmm. And so would it ever be appropriate to say, thank you so much for um, being willing to open up and seek help. Um, I would like to spend some time in prayer and, you know, thinking about this some more and searching God's word when we get back together. Yes. So, I don't know. It might, it, like, Express compassion. Express compassion. Yeah. Oh, Bob and Stephanie, I'm so sorry you guys are going through this. You know, uh, I'm glad that they're willing to reach out to, 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 to me, to us, to, to help you. Um, I'm, I'd love to be an instrument in God's hand in helping you to do that. Um, can we meet on Monday at 7? Does it make sense? Yeah. Can you meet on Monday at 7? Let me pray for you. But never end without giving some hope. You know, the beautiful thing, Bob and Stephanie, is that God addresses all these things in His Word. And if you're willing to rely on the Spirit of God, there's great hope that you're, going to have a, 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 that you're going to become the sort of man, the sort of woman that God wants you to be. And so that they leave with some hope from that conversation. But I think it's very appropriate to say... Yeah. Now, one thing you have to learn in these situations is not to be surprised. <laughs> that might be the end of the conversation. <laughs> right. No struggle, no temptation, no trial is uncommon to men. Right. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a pastor, a Scottish pastor in the 1800s, said that the, talking about himself, the seed of every kind of sin dwells in my heart. Everybody's capable of everything. So, and I don't think that's a cynical position. I think that's a biblical position if you understand how deprived, depraved the human heart can be. Chris? Uh, it was Too far in the back. Well, <laughs> so that name, is that a Pokemon name? <laughs> Which name? Balthazar? No, that's, that's one of the three kings that come to see Jesus in the Roman Catholic tradition. <laughs> yes. Okay, Keith. I, I think Bob needs to pray the men's prayer. I'm a man. I can change if I have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Keith, all the lessons of this sermon are posted. Can you listen to them again? <laughs> All right, I think we're going to end here because it is going downhill a bit. So I'm going to use discernment and call this a night. So let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for, um, thank you that we can laugh together. We thank you uh, that we can have this time together and enjoy um, biblical teaching. We pray that you'd help us to be people who are discerning and are able to bless others with our discernment. We pray to dismiss us with your blessings tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.